Thank you for joining us for this week's broadcast of A Word from the Lord. Today is part six of Turkeys and Eagles. Here now is Dr. Foley Beach. This morning we're in the midst of a series, actually this is the last in a series of sermons we've been sharing together called Turkeys and Eagles. And what we've been attempting to do is look at Paul's letter to the Ephesians and talk about some of the things that we need to hear in our modern day. If you remember Bubba was a little eaglet who uh, for some reason fell into a flock of turkeys and ended up being raised by these turkeys. Before long he thought he was a turkey, although he was an eagle. And then when he started to notice there were some differences, that the turkeys told him that there was some really bad news, that he wasn't a turkey, actually he was a buzzard. Y'all remember that whole story. And then we tied that into how as we as Christians in the modern era have basically taken some things on, some traditions, some teachings, some beliefs that are foreign from New Testament Christianity. And we become, in many ways, turkeys of the faith when God wants us to be eagles. So this morning we're going to look at this passage from Ephesians chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, please open with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 6. Turkey thinking. Turkey thinking says there's no real devil. No real devil. The devil is just a concept to explain evil. The devil is just something that the ancients used to explain bad things that happen. There's no personification of evil. There's no real devil. The devil's best trick is to get us to believe that there's no devil. This morning, that scripture that we just heard will be read or has been read in churches all over America. And probably half or more of the people listening don't believe that there's a real devil. Eagle thinking says, the devil and his cohorts never sleep. The devil and his cohorts never sleep. Many of you know the rector's warden, Clyde Strickland. He has a say and he says a lot. He says, the devil is always a-working. Now, can you hear him saying that? You may be sleeping, but the devil's a-working. You may be working, the devil's a-working. You may be playing, but the devil's a-working. You may be in the shower, but the devil is a-working. Let's look at verse 10. Chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Two things here. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power, and then put on the full armor of God. Now, why does he want us to put on the full armor of God? So that you can stand against the devil's schemes. The Apostle Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Now, how do you know that it's the enemy that's tempting you? How do you know if it's the enemy? You know it's the enemy when he's tempting you to do something or say something which weakens your faith in Jesus. He wants to weaken your faith. He wants to destroy your faith. He wants to make you a weak Christian, an ineffective Christian, a wobbly Christian, one who doesn't have a witness. But don't blame everything on the devil. You know how some people do that. They blame everything on the devil. Our flesh tempts us to do things as well. Our flesh tempts us to feed self, to gratify ego, to meet self-needs. Now the devil can use that, but don't get it confused. What he is mainly after, though, is your faith in Jesus. 
to make you doubt, to make you discouraged, to make you look away from God. So Paul says to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now back in 1655, there was a Puritan minister by the name of William Grinnell. And he wrote a book, I should say several books, on this passage of Scripture. And I want to read you the title of his book. Hang on, okay? The Christian in Complete Armor. The saints war against the devil, wherein a discovery is made of that grand enemy of God and his people, in his policies, power, seat of his empire, wickedness, and chief design he hath against the saints. A magazine open from whence the Christian is furnished with spiritual arms for the battle, helped on with his armor, and taught the use of his weapon, together with the happy issue of the whole war. That's the title. It's three volumes, 261 chapters, 1,472 pages. I won't share them all with you, but I want to share one quote. He says, In heaven we shall appear not in armor, but robes of glory. But here they, meaning the pieces of armor, but here they are to be worn night and day. We must walk, work, and sleep in them, or else we are not true soldiers of Christ. In this armor we are to stand and watch and never relax our vigilance. For the saints' sleeping time is Satan's tempting time. We're in a battle. Turkey thinking says there's no spiritual war going on. There's no spiritual war going on. Christianity is love. It's joy. It's peace, which it is. Christianity isn't about war. It isn't about conflict. It's not about struggle. Don't worry. Be happy. That's turkey thinking. Eagle thinking says, if I'm serving the Lord, then there is always a spiritual battle going on. Always. Now, who are we battling? Verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Who are we battling? Not our fellow human beings. It's not against flesh and blood. This is one of the enemy's best strategies to get us fighting each other, especially in the church. How many times have we heard over the years something like this? I am never going back to that church. It's just full of hypocrites. Or could you believe what so-and-so said? Could you believe what they did and they're a Christian? We end up battling each other. And that's what the enemy wants. It's probably his best strategy, divide and conquer. The next time someone in a church does or says something to rock your world, step back and ask yourself, what's really going on here? What's really happening? Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, a lot of folks will assign these verses to those in government or the leaders of the world. And sometimes the enemy does get control of governmental and world leaders. But what Paul is describing here is a spiritual hierarchy in the spiritual realm. There are demonic strongholds and power structures in the spiritual world. I have an Anglican priest friend that whenever he's invited to go preach at a church, he'll arrive early in that town. And he'll drive through the town or walk through the town and he'll pray against 
the enemy that's been set over that town. He takes these verses to mean that the enemy literally has forces set over geographical areas to discourage and dismantle the work of God in that area. Verse 13, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand. And he uses stand four times in these few verses. Verse 11, he says, take your stand. Verse 13, stand your ground. Verse 13, stand. Verse 14, stand firm. God desires his people to be able to stand up to what comes our way. John Stott writes, wobbly Christians who have no firm foothold in Christ are an easy prey for the devil. And Christians who shake like reeds and rushes cannot resist the wind of the principalities and powers begin to blow. God wants us to be strong. He wants us to be able to stand what comes our way. So Paul writes for his listeners to put on the full armor of God. Now this image of the full armor is taken from the Roman soldier of his day. Paul would have seen many soldiers in his lifetime. He would have seen them on the road as he's traveling to and fro. He'd see them in the marketplace. He would have seen them arrest people or, or have crowd control or, or handle the mobs. And as he writes this letter, he's even chained to a Roman soldier. And so he uses the Roman soldier's dress to show us how to be able to stand against the assaults of the devil. Verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The belt or the girdle protected one's midsection, the vital organs, the kidneys, the livers, the bowels. He uses this to speak of living in the truth, living in the truth of God's Word, having correct doctrine and a correct belief system. But he also uses it in speaking the truth, not lying, not deceiving, not making up things, speaking God's truth. Paul encourages us to have the belt of truth wrapped around our waist. The opposite of this is deception. Deception. Then he continues in verse 14 that we are to take up the breastplate of righteousness. Now the breastplate protected the heart and the lungs and the shoulders and the neck. The breastplate of righteousness is a right relationship with God which comes from justification and then the, the holy life that follows that. When we come to Jesus in faith, He justifies us. That is, through the cross, He makes us, the way I like to say it is, God views me just if I had never sinned. He looks at me through the blood of Jesus on the cross. I've been justified. We are made righteous in His eyes. Now the apostle in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says it this way, God made him, meaning Jesus, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We're to put on the breastplate of that righteousness. Live with the awareness of God's forgiveness. Live with the awareness that God has forgiven you. Live the righteous life that follows when we follow Him. Put on this breastplate of righteousness. The opposite of that is worldliness. Worldliness. 
Then verse 15, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We call this the boots of readiness or the boots of the gospel. The caliga, and I think that's how you pronounce that, was a half boot that the Roman soldier would wear. It protected the ankle and the foot, but it was flexible and agile. So no matter what terrain the soldier would be on, he could get a good footing. He needed to be able to stand up regardless of the terrain. Paul ties in the boots with the sharing of the gospel. And he was probably drawing from Isaiah 52, 7, which says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who brings good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. The boots of the gospel are to be on your feet. What do you believe? And why do you believe it? Can you discuss it? Do you know what you believe and then why you believe it? Many of you young people here are getting ready to go off to college. And when you go off to college, one of the goals of actually many professors, if you come in with a Christian perspective, they want to dismantle that. Can you defend why you believe what you believe? The boots of the gospel of peace, knowing what to say, being able to stand firm in your faith, being flexible and able to discuss it regardless of the terrain you get into. The Apostle Peter says it this way, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. The boots of the gospel of peace. The opposite of this is being unprepared or being ignorant. And then he says to take up the shield of faith, verse 16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The Roman shield was not only big enough for the soldier to stand behind and be protected, but it also was made of a material that when that flaming dart would hit the front of that shield and attach itself, it wouldn't catch on fire. Some of the fire-tipped darts which come our way, discouragement, doubt, false guilt, lust, fear, false accusations, all these things designed to hurt our faith. The enemy is constantly throwing darts or shooting arrows to make us doubt, to make us lose faith, to make us turn away from God, to make us forget about the power of Jesus. He wants to do that so bad. Anything which makes us question our faith or, or question our trust in God. So he says, take up the shield of faith. That's belief in God, trust in Him. The opposite of that is doubt. Doubt. And then he says to take up the helmet of salvation, verse 17. This helmet protected the soldier's head and his face. It was lightweight and yet strong enough to protect against assault. This image comes from Isaiah 59 where the Lord Himself literally puts on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness. And that's what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. His death on the cross not only atones for our sins, but grants us eternal salvation. We don't have to worry about life after death. As believers in Him, we don't have to worry about life after the grave. 
Those of us who've received Jesus as our Lord and Savior have that assurance. And it's a formidable weapon against the enemy. How many times does something like this go through your mind? You're not going to heaven. You'll never be good enough to get to heaven. You're going to hell. All are straight from the evil one. He wants you to doubt your future. He wants to take your assurance of salvation and cloud your future. And if he can cloud your future, then he gets you off focus for the present. Charles Hodge says it this way, That which adorns and protects the Christian, which enables him to hold his head with confidence and joy, is the fact that he is saved. Wear the helmet of salvation. The opposite is hopelessness. Hopelessness. Life ends and that's it. And then he says, verse 17, take up the sword of the Spirit. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now the Roman sword was a two-edged sword. It cut on both sides. It's the only part of the armor which was not just used for defense, but it was also used for offense. The sword was powerful. And the sword is the Word of God, the Scriptures. They're incredibly powerful against the assaults of the enemy. Remember how Jesus faced the tempter in Matthew chapter 4? He's our prime example. He was tempted, and what did he do? He quoted Scripture. He was tempted again. What did he do? He quoted Scripture. He was tempted again, and the tempter even used Scripture in the temptation. And what did he do? He quoted Scripture. It's the sword of the Spirit. Ephesians 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. For us, this means we need to know the Scripture. We need to use the Scripture. We need to apply the Scripture in situations that we find ourselves in. How do we typically respond to situations that come our way, temptations and bad situations? What do we usually do? We wing it. We do what's natural. You use our opinions. We do what's in our gut. How many times when these situations come do we ask the question, what does the Scripture say about this? What does the Bible say about what I'm going through? And then apply it. We don't use the Word of God. We don't use the sword of the Spirit. It's powerful. I'll put the opposite here as one's opinion. Because <laughs> that's typically what people fall into. Your own opinion. And then he says, prayer in the Spirit. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Now, can you pray and not be in the Holy Spirit? Think about that a minute. Can you pray and not be in the Holy Spirit? Well, think about it this way. Can you sing and not be in the Holy Spirit? I mean, just think you're singing a hymn or a praise song, and you're thinking about, what are we going to have for lunch? Or look at what so-and-so did to her hair who's sitting in front of you. Or I hope he doesn't preach too long today. I've got so much to do. Sure. We can sing and not be in the Holy Spirit. 
But when we are singing in the Holy Spirit, what? We're focused on God. We're using the words of the song to make us think about Him and focus on Him, declare His praise. Our mind is on God. We're in the Spirit. The same is true in prayer. You can pray, but not be in the Holy Spirit. You can mouth the words, but your heart and mind are not on the Lord. Someone mentioned after the first service about praying in tongues, that that's what they thought this meant. That means you need to be praying in tongues. Well, I said, well, can you not pray in English in the Holy Spirit too? It means both. It's not one or the other. It's praying in the Spirit, having your heart and your mind focused on the Lord. I believe prayer is the most powerful weapon we have. It's the most powerful, we, but we fail to use it. It is such a privilege to be able to enter into the holy of holies of God, to talk to Him, to commune with Him, and to bring our request and our needs or the situations that we face to Him. And when we do that, what happens? His presence invades those situations. It's such a powerful weapon, but we fail to use it. In this verse, he emphasizes four alls. Look at it. He says to pray on all occasions. All occasions. Good day, bad day. You're sitting in traffic. You're not sitting in traffic. You're in the shower. You're in school. You're at work. Pray on all occasions. And he says all kinds of prayer. Intercessions, thanksgivings, all kinds of needs. Bring it all to him. Always. That's unceasing. Always. In and out of your day, constantly talking to Him. And then He says to pray for all the saints. That's all the believers. We usually just pray for the ones we know. He says pray for all of them. Praying in the Holy Spirit. The opposite of this, obviously, is prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. God has equipped us with the full armor to be able to stand and resist the schemes of the evil one. He doesn't want us to be wimpy Christians. He wants us to be strong in Him. He wants us to be people who are not like a little bitty weed in the grass that just gets blown and and that's it. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel boots, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, and praying in the Holy Spirit. I hope you'll begin to take these and apply them and live them. You'll be amazed at the presence of God in your life. He says here to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Amen. That was Dr. Beach with today's message. For more information on this message and this ministry, please visit awordfromthelord.org. There you will find today's message and previously aired messages, where you can listen to them again and share them with friends and family. Awordfromthelord.org has audio archives of Foley Beach's one-minute radio feature and much more. So visit awordfromthelord.org for audio, articles, and information about the ministry. You can find A Word From The Lord on Facebook, and be sure to click the Like button to follow our feed on Facebook. You'll want to be sure to visit Foley's blog at bishopfoleybeach.blogspot.com. 
On the blog, you can read the many articles posted by Dr. Beach. Many of these blog entries are excerpts and full articles published in local publications. You can also follow Foley on Twitter. His Twitter address is twitter.com at Foley Beach. If you have any comments or questions about the program, you can contact Dr. Beach by email at foleybeach at a word from the Lord.org. Again, his email is foleybeach at a word from the Lord.org. You can contact us by mail. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia 30655. Our mailing address again is P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia 30655. Whether you send us an email or write to us, we'd love to hear from you. A Word from the Lord is made possible by God's grace through the continued prayers and loving financial support from you. We thank you for this opportunity to spread the hope of the gospel of Christ through this ministry. Join us again next time for the next broadcast of A Word from the Lord. For Dr. Beach and everyone here at A Word from the Lord, it is our prayer that you would be seeking A Word from the Lord.